Hello, welcome back. It is the season finale of the third place. It's been a long road. We've covered lots of genres, lots of games, lots of developers. Man, it's been a lot of games. And to sort of celebrate the final episode I'm doing in theme of Ridge Racer, the completing of the lap, and I'm coming back to the start uh, with the first guest of the show back all the way on the Twisted Metal Black episode. And I'm so overjoyed to have him back because he's one of my favorite people ever. And it's Jack Mason of the Perfume Nationalist. How are you, Jack? Oh, thank you, sweetheart. I'm great. <laughs> uh, it's it's nice to have our uh, my little full circle moment. Like that was the whole gist of the show. It's just like, oh, I'm doing my lap around the track. I'm meeting all these people in the circle. It's like, oh, I'm saying hi. Like talk about a game here and there. So I felt like it was appropriate to come back to ground zero and with you for I think a very it's a unique game it's one that not many people would point to and say it's the pinnacle of the series but I think it's one that deserves its time in the sun uh but I'm so happy to have you tonight thank you of course My pleasure now I know that you're a busy man so and you've you have you know you're doing your show and you've been recently to Jersey uh so i know that you haven't had much time if any to play games since we last talked in september so because this episode is coming out uh today june 21st tomorrow uh is june 22nd which is the release of final fantasy 16 in line with today's episode so i figured uh jack if you had any questions about 16 since i know the last you you and I have talked about 15, uh, the one we uh, don't have very fond feelings for. Mm -hmm. um, so recently the demo for 16 came out. So I want to, I'm open to talk about 16, you know, since it's uh, the new fresh hotness on the scene. Uh, well, explain what the concept of 16 is, because I don't know. I hated 15 so much that I kind of quit playing games after I bought that. <laughs> so. Uh, so 16, they are going back to the medieval fantasy European like aesthetic. Um, it's all about crystals, much in line with the older games. Uh, it is... I know it's an action game, but it's an action game done by people who actually know how to make it fun. Uh, it's not brainless like 15 was. Mm -hmm. um, they are not doing open world. They are kind of going back to old school where it's just zones, uh, like a location you can travel to. And then you just do, you have your main story mission, but then you can like find little quests along the way. So they're kind of taking a step back. They realize open world was not the right choice. Uh, it, it is a much more, I guess, more quote-unquote mature Final Fantasy, if you will, even though most of these games deal with that sort of subject matter. You know, it's the first Final Fantasy with an M rating. It's like in the demo, they, uh, they uh, kill a, a little child right at the start. Uh, they have they have like families dealing with like incest relationships they have uh a lot like these like the main thrust is like these people who are called icons who mm -hmm. are basically the vessels of the final fantasy summons so like 
you have one person who is the ifrit uh sort of icon you have someone who's the shiva someone who's the bahamut like all this stuff like so they're basically walking demigods and you have like these icons who are like wanting to fuck each other you have it's a lot it's a very unique take on the series like i'm kind of surprised that they're doing this but i'm glad at the same time that they're taking a new step forward with the franchise like it sounds like they're doing like a game of thrones thing with incest and gore and medieval incest and gore i think so because i think the producer made them watch the first season okay um but i think that was like the only thing he told them to do uh and it's definitely obvious that they were influenced by it but what's interesting is that it still feels like a final fantasy like i know that like the common discourse around 16 is that it's not final fantasy and yet if you play it it feels like a final fantasy like they made a a very pointed effort to say like the story is incredibly important to this game. Like we're focusing all of our effort on this. We're putting all the effort into making the gameplay fun and interesting. Like there's a lot of attention to like building out the, this like location of the game and the people involved. Um, It's also, yeah, like another, uh, the other discourse around this game is that it has pretty much a cast full of white people, which game journalists hate uh which is (laughs) it's amazing is that the standard for japanese games still isn't the diversity thing just like uh crappy american games yeah i mean for trannies yeah i mean the, the west western games are very I've never been interested in a Western game. I don't think yeah, so because uh, they all it looked like fat, ugly people with fat, ugly souls would play those games. Yeah, it which is true. Like, yeah, Japan is like Japan. Go- has- everybody looks like Shrek. Every American-made <laughs> game I've ever seen, it's like the characters look like Shrek <laughs> because there's some like fucking woman behind yeah, it. So yeah. Uh... Yeah, Japan's kind of avoided it because Japan just follows the rule of just making everyone attractive. Yeah. Um, well, they're an ethno state that's just full of Japanese people, so they don't have to worry about uh, diversity or caring about yeah. other races or whatnot. I think people just were persnickety about it because it's European setting. So they're like, well, where's the black people? But it's like, and but the producers, every time he's like, it's a game set in Europe. Like I don't have to, I can't explain this more to you people. I think they should make a Final Fantasy 17 all black. See what happens. <laughs> what do I care? <laughs> it can't be worse than 15. Uh, uh no. Just make it all black. Make it ma- no, make it take place in Harlem in the 70s and not have any fantasy elements. Just pure realism. Just pure realism and call it Final Fantasy 17. <laughs> I would cut. I would love that. That'd be great. They've already. I mean, they've already like. They technically have already, already done. done it. They, you know, the movie which I saw in the theater. Spirits within. Uh, that was a big like fuck you about like we're not doing anything fun. We're not having anything you associate with Final Fantasy. No chocobos. No magic. No entertainment. Uh, yeah. This is just going to be stuff that you don't want. And then it was a big <laughs> flop. Um, yeah. 
it's technically, you know, what's funny is that they kind of did that idea just this year. Um, mm. This game called Forspoken, where you play as a sassy black girl who loves her shoes. Uh, she likes to swear. She likes her book. She likes her books. And she's from New York City. Uh, it was uh, abysmal. Everyone hated it, even including journalists hated it. This is it. a Square Enix. Yeah, it was game? a Square Enix game. It's called Forspoken. Uh, it was and just... the Japanese people had to sit and make this. Yes, they had to sit and make a black main character. Yes, Incredible. and you know what's you know what's funny? The team that made it made Final Fantasy fifteen. <laughs> Well, Final Fantasy 15, uh, when was that? 2015, 2016? So that was like right before uh, extreme Trump derangement wokeness. So the like all male concept uh, kind of got through. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it was open world. So I said, this is pointless and stupid because only a person with a fucked up brain would want to go around uh, like doing little dartboard mini games <laughs> instead of being on a track where everything is controlled for you and uh, you just race towards the finish line and it's really relaxing. Mm-hmm. Um, is there... Uh, I don't know what's going on in games. Is there any... Um, uh, distaste for the last million years of sandbox litter box games. So that's interesting. There's there's like three different paths that have like happened in the last ten years. One where it has kept going and it's still monotonous and boring. The second path has been again it the two sort of shining examples have been zelda and Mm -hmm. elden ring uh where they actually made it interesting where it was just purely about you discovering things on your own whim and they're interesting and there's unique things to discover about your gender well no not not in these ones Mm -hmm. they're just like purely game like it's putting you in this world and just saying you figure out what to do. You can go to the final boss if you want to in the first 20 minutes. You will probably get your ass kicked, but you have this giant open world and it's for you to discover. Like That, that is... still sounds like too much freedom to me. Look, yeah. I'm so old school that uh, JRPGs, quote, <laughs> were just called RPGs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's all one thing. The whatever is the opposite of JRPGs, which mm-hmm. made by Americans with characters that look like Shrek, <laughs> that came later. And then there's a third path where there has been pushback. Where there, if there's been a franchise that is trying to do the open world meme, they get put. The fans yelled them enough where they just go back to making like a linear game. So, uh, what? a demographic constitutes final fantasy fans today that's you either have like the old heads from the 90s who are still mm-hmm. invested in the franchise you have the final fa- uh, final fantasy 14 fans who mm-hmm. are kind of in their they're kind of like self-contained within 14's bubble so i guess that's a good thing where mm-hmm. they're kind of warded off away from the world 
And then there's, because I don't think Zoomers are like interested in 16, really, as far as I can tell, like, because they're in their own little Zoomer slot pay, uh, play pens. I don't really know how Zoomers have this like vast inborn knowledge of things like Final Fantasy 7 and like Silent Hill 2. Like, when did they play? Uh... Why does every like 22 year old just know as if they're as old as me? I think about they get, Final Fantasy Seven. I think they they get told through the video essay saying this is why oh, Final, right. Fan- Final Fantasy Seven is important. You know, with those like weird guys on YouTube who get me too. Yeah, like they get told through videos why it's important, and a lot, a lot of times, you know, these people just haven't played them, and it's very obvious. Like there's certain franchises, like even like Japanese role-playing game franchises where it's like it's obvious that the fans who have these zoomers who have latched onto it have never played any of the other ones in the series like persona is like the one recently that has like garnered this effect where mm-hmm. they all claim that they're persona fans they played persona one two three and four it's like no you haven't like no yeah, there's the time doesn't measure up I'm just like it would take a quarter of your life to play one of these persona games and yet you have this feigned knowledge of the entire franchise i think people just lie i think they lie like they do on twitter about having read books like mm-hmm. you haven't read all these books i don't know i like i can count the number of like rpgs that i've finished in my mm-hmm. long ass lifetime on like two hands because they mm-hmm. took like 80 hours yeah um but, but these zoomers just you know they just ew ew final fantasy 7 <laughs> ew yes mm. ew, d- uh, pinnacle ew yes i remember ew mulholland drive mm. <laughs> i remember mulholland drive mother and father had final <laughs> they made me play a, f- a steady diet of final like, fantasy what do you 7. know you fucking zoomer the fuck do they know go play I... final fantasy 14 that's gotta be those trannies playing that have got to be old by now right uh, does it attract new ones i see i don't know enough about 14 i just know yeah, i want yeah explain we were just talking about the mysterious ones uh 11, 11 and 14 f- 11 is the most mysterious to me because that's so it is to me i mean too like i can't believe the playstation 2 could even like hook up to the internet yeah, I don't really know much about Eleven. All I know is that like it still is being played today, and I can only assume that it's like the old school like MMO players. Like, because no way like a modern Zoomer tranny is playing Eleven. Like, they're not going to play like the dark web or something. Like, yeah, because like, it feels you have... like the old ancient free internet. Yeah, it's because no way they're going to play a game older than twenty thirteen like it's just impossible and so and like it's hot it's notoriously really difficult which Mm -hmm. like today's uh gender people isn't like you know making a game difficult like anti-feminist and oh yeah i mean uh, fascist and imperialist there's a common thing uh with the elden ring game the the company that makes it they're known for like the dark souls games and they're notorious for being extremely difficult, but they're all completely beatable, but like they're just punishing. And mm. apparently that is too much. And we have to make games more accessible because of the 
imaginary disabled gamer who can't beat this game when it's just in reality it's just for it's the uh tranny who needs to uh speed run through the game uh to claim to say that they know they what's in the game uh yeah yeah but yeah 11 i i really don't know much about 11 like 11 just feels like a a, a memory like in Is time it like a disc that you can buy I think it's a thing where you have to like purchase it online on a computer because the console version I think doesn't work anymore. Uh, so you have to like play it oh. through your computers now. Uh, I'm just seeing what happens when I Google Final Fantasy 11. <laughs> Final Fantasy 11 official website. I love that. I love that it has still as an official website. Play online. Maybe I'll start playing this. <laughs> I'm gonna make this my thing. It's on this like ghetto looking old website. That's <laughs> cool. Updated June 11th. You know, this is probably a pretty based space. If people who are still this psychotic and devoted to Final Fantasy 11, which no yeah. one knows about. It's it. It reminds me like when I talked with Scott recently about Doom. Doom like people are still modding doom like the like the original doom to like do whatever it want like to do whatever that create whatever game they want out of it and it's mostly just occupied by like normal nerdy white guys who are just like really into doom so it's like these old that's so cute yeah it's very adorable and i that's love it that's cute unfortunately i you can only choose like one hobby that takes up this much time yeah and <laughs> i've already uh purchased hard drives of full of soap operas that i have to watch um you did, yeah, like you... 50 years of soap operas See. uh so i don't think i can figure out how to play <laughs> final fantasy 11 <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'll report back to you on it. <laughs> I just want to talk to someone who played it, like back in the day. Like, I want to. No, none of my mutuals, none of my mutuals have played it. Like, as far as I know, it's like everyone's, of course, played the single player one, or they played fourteen. So I can't. Eleven is just this vestige of a more simple time. Uh, what uh, are the standard Final Fantasy takes right now about what's bad and what's good? Because that changes all the time. To people, um, I, I would imagine by this point people are reassessing 13. Yeah, 13, okay. Because it's contrarian to say it's good because I started saying it was good like four years ago. Yeah, 13 has definitely gotten more positive feedback. It's still not in the quote-unquote upper echelon like people are now gonna say at the very least it's good like it's mm -hmm. misunderstood um i think i think a lot of people have there's a it, there's a weird split that i can assess right now is that like some people want the old school final fantasy experience which is like you know turn-based combat you know, very Final Fantasy 1 through, like, 9, I guess. And then there's sort of, like, the newer idea where it's just, like, whatever Final Fantasy comes out, just kind of play it, see what it's all about, which I think I would put in that camp, but I'm just always curious, like, what the hell Final Fantasy is going to do next sort of thing. Um, and it's Square has kind of listened to that because... 
they started a new franchise that's more or less like an old school Final Fantasy game called Octopath Traveler. Um, where you have like eight little eight sprite characters going on their own little RPG story, and it's like turn based combat and all that stuff. Um, I'm trying to think in terms of the like what people view the franchise. I think since eight got remastered, I think eight has gotten a little bit more positive feedback recently. Um, Because for a while, I I even knew eight was viewed as like the weird little black sheep of the franchise. Also, that didn't come until later. When it came out, no one thought it was weird. That yeah. whole idea that it's like broken or whatever—I didn't know that until way later. Yeah, everybody at the time said it was just good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, seven is still viewed as like the darling child. Um. And six, six is still six is viewed that by like the old heads. Yeah. Um, ten, ten is still very revered. Although you still get a lot of people who like weirdly will like hate on ten. And I'm I don't just... get that. I don't get how anyone could have a problem with ten. It's like everything beautiful. Perfected. Yeah. It's so it's just so it represents the pinnacle of that era of gaming <laughs> it was so it was so like new and fresh and beautiful and like it didn't feel dusty mm -hmm. uh, you know like like what's there's nothing missing like what an overworld like i don't i like the 10 is a straight path like i love that it's a straight path it like, doesn't even they mask it pretty well it doesn't even feel like that it's I you know what the thing is is I think people who hate ten also hate thirteen. It's uh because they hate you know that uh, that that critique of thirteen's just a hallway. It's like well that hallway is like the most lavishly de decorated hallway known to man. Like I was going through thirteen like a year ago, and thirteen is like better looking than things coming out today. It looks better than all the new games that I see footage of, and it's, it's by the time I played it, it was already like eight years old yeah and, it's, uh, it's stunning and also it like never gets boring i think the the gameplay is incredible mm -hmm. i think if it has like any uh flaw whatsoever it's that the that requisite little open world area that they let you into and the like weapons mixing system feels like an afterthought like mm -hmm. those are kind of like unnecessary um but it just has such momentum it feels like an 80 hour arcade game and yeah. i just love the rhythm of the battles how they're turn-based but they require this kind of like fighting game style like button pushing it mm -hmm. takes a minute to get the hang of yeah it, it's it's really inventive and i will say I think people weird I think people softened on 13 when the 7 remake came out because 7 remake was made by a lot of the senior people in charge of 7 remake were the senior people in charge of 13. Mm -hmm. So I think people are like realize that maybe you know maybe they were wrong about 13. Um it's interesting each title kind of goes in its weird ebb and flow. I definitely think 15 
is kind of like people are saying like this was a mistake um which they didn't say at the time because when it came out they all praised it and said oh this is so good that they listened to the fans complaints about 13 and uh it, it 15 feels like like when a mall has an ugly renovation yeah and like they've converted half of the space into like some like top golf thing just <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, yeah it would have been better if it was just final fantasy versus, versus 13 or whatever but they're like no we've listened to consumers and we've converted half of this game into a hideous top golf uh arena yeah so this I, is what you wanted i tried like a few i think in 2020 i tried to play 15 again and i just couldn't get past like the ninth hour like i and i think it's literally i stopped at the exact same place that i uh when i tried it the first time and it's like when you get your first like summon and i was like i'm out like i checked out it's like i don't care like that's when i stopped playing too it was like at exactly hour nine it's and it didn't look as good as 13 either yeah it's man, I, there are parts of 15 that i really I like, like, I like, like you were saying earlier, I like the idea of four guys going on, like, a road trip. Like, I like that idea. I like the idea of, like, this, like, fantasy world set in, like, a modern-day world of this, like, proto-Tokyo location. I love the music, like... I like the Florence and the Machine... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> edition <laughs> yeah but like the the soundtrack uh the composer she's one of my all-time favorite composers for games uh the music she did is beautiful i love it to death but it's just like the good parts are like trapped in this like muddy water of like going to like kill four enemies and then get money and then doing it again I'm just like, no, no, this is not what I want. Like, just put me on a straight path so I can just see, like, the light show that is, you know, Final Fantasy. Um, Yeah. uh, Which I guess, you know, this first part in this, like, question, which is, like, what does Final Fantasy mean to us? Like, for me, Final Fantasy is, like, going on an adventure and being kind of, like, wowed about these crazy and unique locations that video games can create out of just little ones and zeros like i mean for me the first final fantasy i ever played was seven on the ps3 through the playstation classics and i remember even something that was like at the time like 10 years old and to people consider like archaic like, I was still blown away by, like, the world of Midgar. And then as soon as I e- exit the city, it's, like, this ginormous, lush green oasis and going to, you know, uh, Nibelheim and Cosmo Canyon. Like, all these, like, beautiful, just serene locations and traveling with my, like, eclectic, beautiful cast of, like, uh, anime characters <laughs> and just, like, being assaulted by like these really outside nebulous ideas and story beats. And I was like, like it felt like my brain was just like expanding and overflowing, like being exposed to it for the first time. And so Mm -hmm. that's like final fantasy to me. 
So I don't know what Final Fantasy means to you as someone who you were there in the 90s, like when six came out and, you know, when the PS1 transition happened. So I don't know if mm-hmm. you have any ideas of what Final Fantasy is to you. Um, They represented the first hint of adult, artistic, sophisticated uh, gameplay that I ever saw because we just had a Super Nintendo before that. And um, uh, I hate everything Nintendo now. <laughs> like, I don't I don't care about any of it. I don't Fair. have any nostalgia for any of it. I don't care about Zelda, any you're, of it. Mario. You're a PlayStation like man. Nothing worse that I can think of in the world than being a person in 2023 that's like the aesthetic you've chosen for your life is mario bullshit (laughs) um that probably means you're a tranny and it probably means you're annoying so anyway (laughs) um when final fantasy then called three now called six came out uh i guess i watched my brother play through it a lot and it seemed really complicated um and immersive i the booklet was really thick and had the that beautiful um what's his name toriyama artwork yeah you know, Toriyama artwork and i thought Art. what what is going on here that is so different from the like platform games that everyone has fed me up to this point um and i didn't have a playstation until christmas of 2000 and and Final Fantasy VIII, seeing the <laughs> opening FMV playing in a mall video game store uh, oh. is what made me ask for a PlayStation. I didn't really understand what was going on. I thought the FMV was like the gameplay. I was like, how does this look so much better than my stupid N64? Like, <laughs> well, like um, oh. I also liked that um, it was like four discs. Oh, yeah. The hefty. Hefty seemed very adult. Um, the romance angle titillated me. Um, yeah, Final Fantasy just seems like something big, sophisticated, solitary, uh, very exotic, orientalist, Japanese, um, high budget uh lush imagery it's just like a brand that you trust to Mm -hmm. give you an experience that's really beautiful i think the the care taken with like the numbered installments kind of intrigued me the fact that there were some that were not translated to the u.s at Mm -hmm. that point uh made it kind of mysterious Mm -hmm. and interesting um yeah it just like they were like beautiful girls and uh something really serious was going on that wasn't like mario and (laughs) um it just really stimulated my kind of like romantic instincts and (laughs) like before you know what uh role-playing games are you know like the basic functions that it's like made after like tabletop rpgs that Mm -hmm. you play with like dice Mm -hmm. and like a pencil uh like before you know the mechanics of that it seems really like 
complex. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it just like I remember the feeling of like opening Final Fantasy VIII and like navigating menus felt really high tech and cool. Oh yeah. It especially yeah, eight especially, and you know, I'll we'll get to that in a bit, but like yeah, I, for one, I'm jealous that you got to see like the FMV at a store playing. That's so cool. Um, and it looked really cutting edge. It didn't oh, like I oh, look yeah. at it now, and I'm like, how does shit look so different? Because on old TVs, all of that looks so sharp. <laughs> I, I think it's just like the CRT was like just it can do it just like sharpens any pixels and makes it look beautiful in the process. Mm-hmm. Which is you know you seeing eight at a tv actually kind of mirrors me because i remember technically the first final fantasy that i ever saw was 13 online i remember seeing the first cg trailer for it and i was like what uh, like what is going on like there's this beautiful woman with pink hair with a sword and she's slicing everyone and she's doing these magic summons with all these different characters like what is going on why is everyone like saying like this is the biggest thing ever like i I like how final like when final fantasy reaches you at a young age it's like the doors have opened moment like Mm -hmm. you're whisked away to the potential of what a game could be and i love that i feel like everyone has that moment and i think being there like when eight was coming around you know seven eight nine seeing it with the PlayStation coming around and just being like taken away to like what games were really meant to become like not even just like Final Fantasy you have stuff like other Square Enix games you had like Parasite Eve you had Vagrant Story or Einhander which granted it's not an RPG but still like part of the Square Invasion or like Chrono Cross you know, Silent Hill, Resident Evil, like all these just like bombardment of like new and crazy games that are just like making their way to the West and just like, what like what have I missed out on in these last like few years of games existing where they were just pixels on a screen moving left and right and up and down. Now I'm traversing a 3D landscape. I'm being... I'm going on these adventures that just seem bigger than anything I have ever experienced, whether it be like a movie or a TV show or a book. Like it's like, it's like magic really, at least to me, like final fantasy is like magic in a bottle where every game is a different story. And yet like they come up with even more like magical, like just worlds to go to and like just, uh characters experience and then you have to navigate like these complex sort of gameplay systems you know the active time battle systems or in the case of final fantasy 8 like the junction system and all that stuff like there's just something final fantasy is like the pinnacle really even when it's Mm -hmm. like falters like there's still like a prestige behind it all like and you just accept that with every entry like there's a reason why they're now up to 16 and like every game that comes out is like a big momentous occasion uh so yeah i mean i i can't imagine what it was like to just see like on tv seeing a commercial for final fantasy 7 and just like what is 
what on earth is this? What's Midgar? What's who's Cloud? What's Lifestream or anything like that? Uh, Nobody around me played that or like had a PlayStation. Everybody had a fucking N64 because that's what their parents bought them. And everybody was just hopping around in Mario 64, mm -hmm. the world of PlayStation and stuff like this seemed very separate um i only like some of my brother's friends who were then like teenagers older like they would have playstations and talk about them and mm -hmm. um but everybody my age was just still playing this childish shit imagine imagine the timeline it would have been if final fantasy never went to playstation because that almost happened uh they the reason mm -hmm. why it didn't is because the N64 wasn't powerful enough. Or, I mean, it was, but CDs put more information than a cartridge. PlayStation would have just tanked. Yeah. Like, like it would, there's not... It, Final Fantasy VII is the reason everyone got a PlayStation. It's, uh, I don't know what big game would have been the draw to sell that console for so long. Like, people aren't buying that to play Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> uh yeah and as spyro you know? <laughs> <laughs> i i love me some crash and spiral but seven yeah. you know, final fantasy 7 changed so much and you see there's, there's like a like a post seven sort of like shock and awe of like what could happen in games like not too long after seven came out you had something like wild arms came out from square or Chrono Cross came out not too long after Vagrant Story, Parasite Eve 1 and 2, Final Fantasy 8, Final Fantasy 9, like it like the I'm grateful that Japan was like okay, the West can handle us now with the with our RPGs. We're not going to like keep some of some of them away from from the West anymore. You know. Yeah. It's like, like I don't they were so stingy with that for so long, mm -hmm. but they ported all of those extremely Japanese Final Fantasy Legend mm -hmm. games for Game Boy that were like <laughs> unplayable gambling bullshit for Japanese people. They were fine <laughs> exporting that, but, but like, no, they can't handle Final Fantasy 3. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, and it's not even just like Square, it's just like even atlas with the smt franchise like if i don't understand why with that i'm <laughs> like... scared of that it's, <laughs> it's, it's so overtly satanic i'm like fair enough i don't know what they believe in japan but this just seems like summoning the antichrist and, I, um i i love how the the basis of smt is a a kid going like summoning like demons from his computer in the eighties? Like yeah, and it feels like that's what real. It just feels like something that only Japanese people are supposed to do. <laughs> it's I don't it, know. It's it, I like had that Shin Megami Tensei one port on my phone, and even that was like I felt a satanic depression playing it's just too much i can't why are there pentagrams like i'm just like what do japanese people believe if I, this is like normal to them i i wish i knew too i mean 
And I love how the West technically first introduction to it was Persona, like, uh, where it's like, oh, we'll make it digestible where it's high schoolers dealing with it. And it's like, oh, like, that's even more real. Uh, yeah. And they're, they're, I don't... And like just all those like games where they like weirdly uh add like the localization changes they would do. My my personal favorite with Persona One is they changed one of the characters to a black kid. Uh they 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 changed his name from Inaba to Mark. And he they it's literally they just made him in blackface. And palette swapped. <laughs> yeah, they palette swapped him, and it's really funny when uh this mark character is in his battles and he's like mark dances funkily i'm just like (laughs) (laughs) it's like you know what this is kind of this is charming and cute like uh but yeah like really final fantasy and the ps1 are like kind of like this like genie in a bottle like amazing discovery because without these games, I feel like games would still they would take like at least another decade to like really take off with like really cool and inventive, not just like gameplay or just like uh, stories, but even just like tones and atmosphere. Like I feel like Silent Hill might have not happened if it weren't for like getting to be shocked and awed by Final Fantasy VII's, like, you know, seeing the Aerith death scene. Like, yeah. you had you had to prep the audience until you could get to something like Silent Hill, and then you would get something like Silent Hill 2 and Max Payne and Devil May Cry and Final Fantasy X. Like, there had to be, like, the the origin point with Seven to, like, really open the floodgates about what could happen with a controller in your hand uh yeah yeah it's it's final fantasy i guess you know final fantasy to me is just like for for me like it's the true excitement and wonder that a game could like games bring to me like i get to go on this story with these you know these characters that i come to love and enjoy and I'm getting sent from like being a, like in eight's case, I'm from a high school, a mercenary, a high school student, technically in a mercenary school. And then by the end of it, I'm literally fighting the sorceress of time and stopping uh, time compressing to one single moment. It's like I started from here and now I ended here. And like, that's kind of the joy of final fantasy to me. Like just, yeah, I get to go somewhere and see something that is like, really outside of my own imagination they Uh, felt novelistic and epic in a way um before games were so reliant on cutscenes to feel like that like just the sheer amount of information and text and dialogue that you had to wade through um, (laughs) felt very huge and cinematic and something like the what's her face almost killing herself in final fantasy 6 oh god bless um yeah yeah, like considering suicide and like the opera scene um even though children's entertainment was so much more dark and adult than like movies uh were 
uh, there was such a panic about video games in the 90s just because they were inter interactive, which <laughs> yeah seems really, I don't know, it seems really kind of silly just how, like, parents were really freaked out about about video game content oh yeah i mean at that time back at the start of the season i talked with alex about night trap you know the the origin point about games and being too salacious and and they were mad uh, about sex but mm -hmm. the, the it was any sex was bad uh but you know, the point of all these RPGs is the plot is that you kill God. So that's <laughs> a lot worse than hot coffee mod or whatever. <laughs> and GTA. Yeah. yeah. Like the the nineties were so it's amazing how like people back then were getting mad about like Night Trap and Mortal Kombat and uh Lethal Enforcer and Doom. Well, Doom make I guess can make sense. Doom it's, is evil. Do you think yeah. that video games hypnotize people into uh, committing violence? Do you think they um, have any tangible impact on uh, uh, like me uh, mentally unstable, angry I think young they... men who go on to do things? <laughs> well, I mean. I think back in the day, no, but I think now games have created like this weird little nebulous network of trannies. Uh, yeah. I think back then it was different, but maybe I'm not well versed on it and thought about it deeply. I've always like been from that because I grew up in like the 2000s where like any mention of like some random person saying like oh games need to be censored i'm like oh screw you like it i'm a normal kid like whatever mm -hmm. like i remember jack thompson was like the huge proponent of like grand theft auto being censored and i'm like oh screw you jack thompson like i'm you know i play these violent video games and i'm just fine as it is like sort of thing so mm -hmm. when i see something like doom nowadays or back then I'm just like, you know, this is the coolest thing ever sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember like Doom had a iPhone port and, all, and Duke Nukem had an iPhone port. And I remember playing those on the bus and I was just like, oh man, like to me, these were the coolest things ever. And I, I could never understand the talking point of like how these could like warp and, uh, uh, take over the mind of some like crazed individual but like i guess i'm seeing that now with certain people you know the tranny mob well now it's... they become trannies but in the 90s it was like like marilyn manson fans were scary yeah like, everybody everybody knew like a, a boy or girl who had radically changed overnight and was into doom and worshipped Marilyn Manson like unironically like it seemed uh, Marilyn Manson was like retconned after the fucking bowling for Columbine movie yeah. and that's when Libtard said oh isn't he smart An intellectual. but no at the time it was like totally like your white trash kid would like call him the reverend Marilyn mm -hmm. Manson and like do little sacrifices and it was all over the draw these weird lines on their neck 
It was all <laughs> over the place. They looked really scary. They were annoying. I can understand the frustration from parents about yeah. all of this. I would probably blame Marilyn Manson more than I would Doom, but Doom definitely <laughs> seems like um I mean it it gives off a depressing, it, sinister oh yeah satanic Doom, vibe. Doom Doom two Doom two and Doom sixty four really give off that vibe of just like oppressive evil imagery. I almost think that Quake's more evil than Doom, in my opinion. Like Quake just feels hopeless. Where yeah. you're in just like this black void of nothingness, and you have that Trent Reznor soundtrack, just where it's just ambient like metal, just noises and just sounds, and it feels like it's getting into your skin. Mm-hmm. I uh, that's just my take on it. Like, I think. Why people... do you think Japanese? I'm sorry. Go on. Oh no no no! You you go. Uh... Why do you think Japanese people always have to kill God in their games? That's a good question. I, I don't... mean, it doesn't seem to be working out for them since they were defeated in World War II. So. <laughs> uh, maybe it's just like them trying to like LARP as be like, well, we defeated the evil in World pretending War II. Pretending they have power and pretending they can have a military <laughs> and, you know. Yeah, it's just their, it's the, it's their role-playing game. Like, I get to defeat the evil bad guy that defeated us 60 years ago or whatever. Uh-huh. I, I don't know... Per se, I've never thought deep on that matter. It's been because there's so many, you know, I mean, even Final Fantasy, it's like, you know, I guess in the PS1 era, you're fighting Sephiroth, who becomes literally like angelic god monster at the end. Then you have eight where you're fighting fighting the source, you know, the god of time, basically. Then nine is like you're fighting this like, you know, Cujo, like this weird kefka like demon boy it's and then like 10 is even more so like that it's interesting i've never really thought as to why like smt is all about that killing god over and over again and it's just like this weird infinite loop of just like they keep killing the god they keep killing the god uh personas like that too where it's like oh yeah persona 3 you kill the god of death that wants to uh, like people will into existence to end the world or persona 4 is like the god of like uh perception where people want to live in their fake realities away from uh trouble or hardships i, I don't know maybe it is just a giant role playing game for them it's just like <laughs> imagine a time when they had act you know wherewithal in uh uh Act, you know, just taking action, like maybe it's just like mm-hmm. living, li- living a nascent genetic uh, samurai. I'm doing, you know, I'm enacting the true spirit of myself and doing the good for not just myself but the country itself. Maybe that's what it all ties to. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very good question. I'm going to like think about that more. Um, but it makes for great games. Uh, I love it all these. Make for great games. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I love all these JRPGs about uh, killing some uh, god of you know concept. Uh, I keep mm-hmm. I keep falling in love with them. Um, but I think we covered a good amount of Final Fantasy, so I think we should transition to the one of tonight, which is Final Fantasy Eight. 
I'm here. Hello, hello, hello. Hey. I'm putting back all my Final Fantasies on the shelf. <laughs> all my... My... My shrines to gaming. What fragrance would you pair with Final Fantasy VIII? Uh... I thought about... Okay, I thought about Brilliant White Diamonds just because I know... You and I have like talked about thirteen being sparkling, and I'm not mm -hmm. well versed on it all. Brilliant is like the same, uh, the same perfume to my nose as sparkling, but they're both still in production. I know. I I would nominate uh, Salvador Dali Laguna. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. Which is very teal, uh, late nineties. A somewhat interesting aquatic with this uh, spicy fruit note from the weird uh, Salvador Dali company. I need one of those. I haven't dipped into that. I haven't. I haven't bought anything new. I've been getting like new bottles of like ones I ran out of. Um, Honestly, that's better than buying new ones. <laughs> I, I love I, buying. I, mean, I love using up a bottle. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I recently got the. A gigantic Dracar Noir, um, mm. just because I, I had been away from it for so long and I missed it, so I was like, "Okay, I'm getting the bottle that I'll never run out of." Um, yeah, I haven't worn that in forever. It's still so nice. It's my gym mm. scent now. It's it, it was when I first got it, and I was like, "Well, I'm just gonna go right back to it." There's like no point in uh, ditching it. Um, yeah. I think the last one new one I got was the Truth or Dare from that store we went to. Oh, tight. Yeah, like that. That one. I'm so glad. I wouldn't have noticed it was on the shelf if you didn't point it out. Um, <laughs> I, I was, I knew that. Like I, said, I couldn't leave it sitting there. I was like, I have to get it, or else, like, I feel like it did something wrong. Yeah, you um, had to rescue it. I just had to rescue this uh, aromatics elixir from a. Um, even though I have like fifty bottles, it was at a a sad convenience store in New Jersey, aww. and it was like all faded and next to all these Ciara and White Diamonds gift sets. <laughs> I was like, it's just gonna go in the trash. I have to buy it. You have to. <laughs> you have to draw it like a Final Fantasy VIII magic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take in its magic. Take its powers mm -hmm. in. Um, I I know one day I'm gonna splurge and just buy something, just like new and incredible. I'm probably just gonna get Laguna just because. <laughs> oh, that's cheap. That's not a splurge. Yeah, but I feel like yeah. there, there, I've been resisting the urge to get like. I don't know. I, I've been keeping an eye on like Chanel. Like I, I've been needing to get on Teus for a long time now, and I just keep putting it off. And I know I'm just gonna be like, all right, just gonna press buy and just you know yeah. deal with deal with it. Um, for sure. I mean, that's how I felt when uh, I got Jules. Um, actually, no, Jules was the last one I bought. That was the last new one I bought. Oh no way! Yeah, because Stephen was talking about it like a lot on your episode with him. I was just like, fuck it gotta get it like yeah it's so good i was like i have to wear it and i've worn it to woodshed and guys really like it <laughs> they really <laughs> like you it's not uh, the perfume <laughs> oh, oh, oh hush <laughs> no um i love jewels to death uh yeah. i think at work it's actually gotten compliments 
it's it's weird to it's weird what gets compliments and what doesn't like a woman really liked Tom Finland on me she was really obsessed with it um my coworkers love they seem to like the stronger ones like my manager loves CK1 when i wear it like and he's mm-hmm. my age um there was a former coworker who was a zoomer and he loved it when i wore uh when i wore white diamonds mm-hmm. uh one of the older ladies that works uh in the department she i think i told you this but she loved it when i wore bijan uh to the point where she literally stopped everyone in the department and said go smell him <laughs> and you know she's That's this so like nice. 50 year old woman she's from new jersey and you know she's like ice cold uh mm-hmm. but i just love she's done that with me with Bijan, and i think aromatic she's done that too it's interesting how the people at my current place like the customers aren't as vocal about what i what i wear when mm-hmm. i worked at walmart they were way more vocal about me wearing something they were like oh i really like that I, I guarantee that nine people out of ten just uh, don't understand that the smell is coming from you. They just yeah, can't I do. track the source. Yeah, or they're just like, is he is that that guy's wearing it? Like, no way. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I remember like at Walmart, the black ladies always liked it when I wore Yufdu. Yufdu, oh. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I like that type of fragrance. I, I'm really sad. My bottle of youth is almost gone. Well, fortunately, that's cheap too. Well, yeah, but it's just like I think that's that is the one I bought a few years ago, and I'm like, it's finally reaching the end of its run, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, I want to cradle you and just like never let you go. Oh, that's so cute. I love <laughs> using them up and throwing them in the trash. I, I I need to get that habit, but it's just like when I see like just the vial is just like that much. It's like, uh, I gotta put I you on. I get so excited. <laughs> the, the, I, and I just start spraying it out so I can throw it away. The, the one that I am truly like, I'm resistant on using is wrappings. Like I only wear that oh, at yeah. Christmas and I got the, it's like the one that came in the gift set that they used to sell. So it's that small bottle. And I used a lot of it the first Christmas mm-hmm. So I was like, "Oh shit!" I just used like a quarter of it. I, uh, be, you're you're sitting on there for a year. R.I.P. Uh, forever. It, it's so sad. Wrappings mm-hmm. is so nice. Yeah, I I can't believe they finally did. It. Well, of course, I can believe they finally did away with it. It's just so grim when you think about all those like different colors of happy. Mm-hmm. Just the, how horrible everything else at the clinic. Is yeah. besides aromatics, this is horrible, like brightly colored, happy variations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's sad because, mm-hmm. like, it, even when I go to a mall, especially around Christmas time, to see like you know they're sort of the big name ones and like they're like really pretty gift sets, and mm-hmm. if there's like a nice. It's not on display, but I guess from through you, like I see like that like timeline, like the you know the decades of this thing existing kind of yeah. now on presentation. And to see like wrappings go away is just like, oh, that's like a pillar gone. And yeah, it yeah, it, it breaks my heart. 
Um, yeah, things have changed a lot since I've been into it. Yeah, uh, it was weird going into a TJ Maxx and seeing a Montale there. I know that they randomly would just get like one of those random like upscale ones will just appear, but it was weird seeing a Montale just like appear on at the TJ Maxx in Which town. Which one was it? I think it was Black Oud. I was like the good what? one. I was like, "What are you doing here?" Like, Usually, if you see a Montel somewhere, it's one of the Brazilian butt lift Florida <laughs> lip injection ones. That's called like Tutti Fruity Lagoon. Oh yeah, that no it's... one, no one would ever want. Yeah, I was, and it wasn't like a horrible price either. It was like a hundred dollars, and I'm like, "You could be way more expensive." But you know, I, it was just one box, and I was like, "Huh, I, I wonder how it got there." Is mm-hmm. TJ Maxx has those moments where, it's like, oh, you 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 kind of just materialize like a Final Fantasy like summoned. I wish something something exciting would pop up before me. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's such a demoralizing experience to go in there. Um, I <laughs> just think I I'm just worth too much to set foot <laughs> in those stores anymore i'm simply yeah. too too expensive my ass is, is expensive. Too expensive <laughs> to be in any kind of store that has like a <laughs> security person saying <laughs> hi to you yeah i don't like thinking about those like uh those like cheap sleazy men's things locked in their um locked in their plastic cubes those creepy brands that are like yeah polo cigar like i don't like i don't like thinking about the guy that wears that yeah no it's, it's not a vision of what i want to pay for it's not a vision of paradise yeah uh, <laughs> oh. I, I it's always nice i I just I look around my room and I'm just like, oh, there's the bottle there, <laughs> like right there. Is I have like two animals, sex appeal. Oh, I see Fahrenheit. a giant animal. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're all just like scattered around the room. I'm so bad about putting them in like one place. Like that's I have so cheerful. I love that they're in use. I just like to see perfume that's in use. I have my bottle of Giacomo. De Giacomo. Oh, nice. I always uh, forget that one. It's so good. Uh, another example of you were talking about it online i was just like purchase i was like how to get Mm -hmm. gotta get because i think you said it was like your metal gear solid one i was like gotta have it (laughs) i was like i couldn't mess out to think of what solid snake smells like Mm -hmm. i was like "Mm -hmm." okay um Mm -hmm. it's still like i i just love this obelisk ps2 obelisk bottle uh-huh. Uh, just being reminded of cloves and rubber. Yeah, it's, it's really hot. It. Uh, I need to wear it more. I. My rotation lately has been, Drakkar for the gym. I've been youth do at work. Um, CK one to work. Uh, what else? <laughs> Matthew noted like I have bottles in my little uh in my armrest thing oh yeah like an arab (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was Mm -hmm. like here's my little traveling compendium uh like it's the mystery box it's Mm -hmm. a it's a final fantasy chest but like oh what sort of treasure is inside 
Uh, I just wear youth do and aromatics and Magine Noir all the time and various patchoulis. Uh, yeah, Magine was uh, in my rotation at work too. Re mm -hmm. Like the it back in April. Uh, Sparkling like diamonds has been a work one. Uh, trying to think what else has been like the work scent recently. Tom of mm -hmm. Finland has been in the rotation. Uh, I like just how that one. At, over time how it smells i mean you, it's like a thing where you forget about it and then you're just like oh okay like now i'm like oh there's the like leather smell and right. it's very it's very pre pleasant one that i enjoy mm -hmm. um i've sometimes have worn cdg original to work um where i'm like really feeling myself type of day <laughs> yeah uh, like what my, have people ever commented on that no, they they've commented about girl. I feel like girl is a, everyone like girl's a pretty like crowd pleaser one at least in yeah. work. Like it lasts forever. It's loud as shit, and I don't know. I I love lavender, so it's just like you know mm -hmm. I'm really in a pick me up type mood. It's it that's one. Uh oh, I actually I just remembered. Uh, Brian got me for my birthday. Uh, sheepers I am. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. That one, I love that one. That's it's, very old school. Yeah, uh, I, I need to like, I, I feel the urge of the lucky scent, like just deep dive. I'm just like, ooh, you know, what's um, what some what is gonna pique my interest today? Uh, like, I because I got two Christmases ago, uh, the Ater from Diptyque from a mm -hmm. Diptyque store. And then I got um, what's the one? I'm blanking on it right now. It's one of their EDPs uh, that's very like, like forest piney. Uh, Tam Dao. Yes, yes, Tam Dao. Mm -hmm. That one's really nice. I, I mean, it's just pure pine needle. Like, it, yeah, yeah. It's you know, I enjoy it. It's it's a. I mean, it's the EDP, so it's gonna be like potent. Mm -hmm. um i there's just there's so many in my closet i mean and i just in my little my closet it's just, i open the door and it's just like now it's on two shelves worth of stuff oh i know uh, i mean look it's all over my bookshelves and it's oh i, I love that mm -hmm. it's so pretty i just all these little yeah. you know final fantasy crystals yeah, little bubbles. <laughs> I just my one of my favorite things going in my closet is just like, oh, there's the Nicki Minaj head, mm. just like staring at me. Yeah, I keep trying to think of like a way to use up the liquid in those. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll I could spray them in my car. I don't know. I don't like uh like Pink Friday smells good, but it makes me feel like precious. Like I feel like a fat ghetto. I like black, pink black if, girl. I prefer pink sugar. Like pink sugar were... is a lot more elegant than pink. Yeah. Pink Friday just you it's know, Nikki. like like that smell of when like girls wearing some tutti fruity ghetto perfume are out in the heat sweating. Yeah. It's probably for about six years it was that Pink Friday smell. Mm -hmm. Um maybe yeah, I like seeing those heads. On my I, shelf. Can, I, I can see her. 
I yeah, see. I saw they, I, there was a cute little mini set of them of like mini Nikki heads. I can't believe I bought that queen one, which was like the more <laughs> expensive one. How fucking just the way I waste money. Hey, you you have perfume. I have my video game shelf where I'm just like, why did I buy that? Like, yeah. Did, uh, what? Well, at least I, you have a reason that you have a podcast and you're like a historian of games now. So you made up <laughs> a reason, just like I made up a reason to buy all these. Yeah, things. it's it's you know we we turn our you know our 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 obsessions and we make a purpose out of them. But, but I like, like pretending that I'm a person who only has like one perfume and doesn't think about it. Yeah, but I have all the shit. Yeah, I mean, I look at my shelf and I'm like, why did I buy a SpongeBob PS2 game? Like, am I like, am I like, uh, in like ready to go to the, like pad? Have you cell? played it? Uh, a little bit of it. It's not horrible. Um, it exists. Um, that's my <laughs> review of it. <laughs> But Ugh. like uh, one of my stupid purchases, because I I remembered this game as a kid, and it's a Hot Wheels game, and I'm like, I'm 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 insane, I'm crazy. Like, what did I do? Like, I bought a stupid little toy car game. Uh, like, there's so many. I'm trying to think. I'm like parsing through. Like, what I. I have Miss Pac-Man for Sega Genesis. Am I going to play Miss Pac-Man on my Sega Genesis? Probably not. But I like, you know, the fact that I can look down here and I can just pull this out and be like, oh, there she is. Chris loves Miss Pac-Man. Uh, uh, if we come over there, he can play it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have my Genesis. I have my Genesis right here. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I need to put these consoles away. Like, I have my Genesis, the, the kidney bean. Uh-huh. controller i have my dreamcast is down here i have my stupid nintendo wii uh Oof. i have my wii. i have i have the old gray box Aww. uh which was gifted to me by mutual actually uh nice uh the it's in fairly good condition too the open the open button gets a little stuck sometimes so you kind of have to like move your finger over it to like jostle it out mm -hmm. but it's you know it's in not bad shape it's like he he included a memory card in, in his controller it's i was like oh this is so sweet oh uh, and he uh he he gifted me it in the the ps2 box that he got his ps2 in back in the day so i have like i actually have like the you know that blue ps2 box in mm -hmm. my closet i was like why do I have a cardboard box <laughs> just like sitting <laughs> this useless cardboard box? And I'm like, I'm, in, I'm fucking in, stupid. Like this is just taking up space. And it's like, Oh, this is my little mausoleum, I guess. It doesn't look that cluttered from here. It's in the closets. It's going to be, if you keep doing this, but oh, anyway, yeah, I, oh, oh, oh boy. Um, it's okay. Then you'll just get rid of some of it and later rebuy it. Yeah. I mean, if there's one thing about the out of print game market is that you can make a good you can make some money off of it uh yeah. people will buy uh they'll buy uh the legend of tron bone that awful ps1 game you told me about 
that you yeah. saw the one star review for, you people will buy for five hundred dollars. Because it's I'm <laughs> like just just specifically because they can't have it. That's why they yeah want that. Yeah, no, literally, it's because it's an out of print game that was awfully received and nobody's played it so they can uh have in their collection saying look at this obscure game that no one's played <laughs> like uh some of my obscure ones uh i have a, a japanese sega saturn evangelion game sweet it's a it's like a it's an original story that they made that plays out kind of like the t- like a TV episode where mm-hmm. you get to make choices and then you have uh, RPG battles in the uh, in the in the Ava choices. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I wish I could play it more, but it's all in Japanese, so I have no idea what's going on. Damn. Um, but I can play it on my Saturn because I have the. There's a cartridge that can. Un, uh, let you play out of region games. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have this one. Uh, I got my. I have. <laughs> I have a Japanese Space Channel Five. Oh, uh, nice! Where the the silver is uh, gl- uh sparkly. Beautiful. <laughs> um, let's see. <laughs> I love that I'm doing this right now. I get to show you my all my all my all my games. Yeah, this is one. Uh this is the uh collector's edition of Code Veronica from Japan. Ooh, pretty. Yeah, and it it comes in a dual uh Dreamcast, like similar to the Final Fantasy mm-hmm. 8 case. Uh nice. it's really pretty. Uh I found this in California um when I was last there. I got this at the game store we went to. It's uh the Final Fantasy 13 2 Collector's Edition. Whoa. Yeah, it's in this all white and it the the case is like a book. It's like a it's a book that has um the book is part a concept art book. So you can flip through some of the concept art that they did and it's a uh, the if the official soundtrack on four discs uh and then you have the game uh-huh. <laughs> and it's really pristine like you know it has the yoshitaka mono art right here uh it's really stunning and this is only... the lightning returns steelbook which someone <gasps> gave me uh I've, I've never even turned it on yeah it i i stumbled upon this for 20 dollars. i was like this is I have to cherish this. Like the Final Fantasy 10 2 sound 13. Is it 13 2? Yeah. 13 2 soundtrack on four compact discs. <laughs> Count me in. I sound crazy. <laughs> what is this? Is what the podcast has done to me. <laughs> uh, I have some other Japanese Saturn games. Why? Because I can. Uh, mm-hmm. Virtuous. Virtua Fighter 3, which was on a dual a dual CD-ROM case. Uh, or I guess in the Dreamcast case, it was a GD-ROM. Uh, mm-hmm. It was not a CD-ROM. Uh, I have... I don't know why I have this uh, this racing game from Japan. Touring like, Car? Sega Touring Car Championship. Um, and then 
Then I have a uh, Christmas Nights. <laughs> That's nice. I and I like playing this on Christmas. It's really cute and adorable. I have no idea what's going on because it's again all in Japanese. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I oh man, there's some. Uh, I have to put this in like a little uh basket or or else I'm just like ugh, I feel shame like <laughs> I'm like resurrecting no, good. you have a, <laughs> a reason to live I, yeah. I think that's nice that uh you have a, a passion and uh there are things that you still want to collect I've collected everything that I want so you've got it's all over your for me you got I all have your, it all you have all I, your I've come to the end you have all your Final Fantasy VIII GFs. Yeah, I, I slayed uh, <laughs> God, and what was left was uh, there was nothing else I wanted to buy. Uh, so. You remember um, Perfect Dark? Yeah, I had it. Um, so the uh, 360 sequel, which is not good, um, but I guess I have the limited <laughs> in this really nice steel book. Wow. It's, and it's like it's like kind of real or it's like heavy and it comes on uh two discs. Uh the second one is a bonus DVD. It's like why for the Xbox 360. It's like god I I've I've just weird ones like uh Devil May Cry 4, this like nice steel book. <laughs> this <laughs> Where you know has this uh, my beautiful Nero and Dante on the back, where nice. uh, where they shoved uh, the anime that they made for Devil May Cry in the sleeve, uh, on this like cheap cardboard like uh, sleeve thing. Yeah, so just I can watch uh, the anime and uh, see some behind the scenes footage, uh, which is cute. It's cute. I'm currently subscribe to Crunchyroll because I'm trying to make it through Mobile Suit Gundam. I don't understand what's happening at all. I'm trying like <laughs> I don't know how that show was like for children to watch on Saturday or I don't either. <laughs> Do you know what's happening in that show? Because I sure no. don't. No. I but you know I like that it is this ever running show that like no matter what will have like a fan base. Yeah, I, I just, like the I like the idea of it. Um, I like the idea of being familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, once again, I just don't understand how like, like how people are so familiar with all of this. Like, when when did the watching of this occur? I guess that I guess the same thing can be said about like Ava, where this but is that's another. Short. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I no. I don't have an answer really. I don't um, know. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I'll, this is the last one I'll show you. This is um a very uh prized thing for me as a Metal Gear fan. Is uh the document of Metal Gear Solid Two. Is it like making of stuff? Yeah, it's it's a like seventy minute behind the scenes movie. Uh, mm that they did in conjunction with two and it's, it's literally just a DVD sold in a PS2 case. <laughs> uh, Cute. 
yeah no my my metal gear shrine which is at the top of the shelf uh is like my my uh it's like my mickey moment <laughs> it's like oh well, you have a long way to go until yeah, I know. mickey when i buy the first solid snake figure it's so over yeah i don't have anywhere to put a figure i don't have anywhere for any more books either yeah it's I... over like yeah <laughs> it's over i i guess i'm lucky that all the me all the metal gear figures are like really expensive now so they've kind of like put a barrier between me uh and That's like good splurging but if i i i said i would stop showing you things but <laughs> uh whoop you know i have to show you things because i like showing things off uh <laughs> i have like the japanese version of mgs1 oh pretty action game yeah <laughs> action game uh, uh, this was uh this is the re-release of called mgs integral mm -hmm. uh where they had the base game plus vr missions included in one package uh and i like how on the side in japan it says three discs three discs which is i kind of like that they were so like this this game has it is multi-disc like that's how big it is yeah it impressed me uh when which, things were multi-discs which is uh interesting uh, about final fantasy the second part of the seven remake trilogy they're actually advertising that it's going to be on two discs which most of the time when games have to have a second disc they're usually like hush hush about it mm -hmm. like final fantasy is embracing that like yeah, you need two discs to play this. Like, it feels very like a, a throwback to the old games, which no I... No way. I, like, what could possibly... Like, are any games multi-discs now? Yeah. Um, some, not all. Uh, like, The Last of Us 2 was a two-disc game. Red Dead Redemption 2 was a two-disc game. Uh, and those games, like, hid the fact that they were. They didn't, like... They usually would come out like a week before saying like, oh, there's an install disc that you need. But like Final Fantasy VII, this one's called Rebirth. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like they just had a trailer like a week and a half ago. Uh, and they're like coming early 2024 on two discs. On two discs. I was like, <laughs> which is impressive because the ps5 uses ultra blu-ray which is 100 gigabytes um so it's impressive that they were able to fill out a 100 gigabyte disc and they're like we need two of these um, yeah that's wild apparently final fantasy 16 also was almost a two disc game uh but they oh. they they were able to like keep it just under so i was like oh okay like mm -hmm. i kind of wish it was a two disc just because feels like final fantasy 8 yeah um, feel big yeah <laughs> but i guess to get in finally back on track this will all stay in probably okay. um so final fantasy 8 came out on the faded day of 9999 on the playstation the same day as the dreamcast came out uh so 9999 is a very infamous day for games you had Sony counteracting a new console with a new Final Fantasy. And Final Fantasy VIII 
uh, to a lot of people is the black sheep or one of the black sheeps of the franchise. Um, but at the time, this was like a big blockbuster event game. Uh, I remember, I think this game had like a budget of almost like 50 or 60 million dollars. Like it was a felt like a Hollywood movie. Uh, they had all these cross promotions for it. Like uh, you could win a Toyota car uh, if you like entered a, a raffle that Square Enix uh, sponsored. Uh, this game was a very monumental uh, moment. They were this was the first game that they used like realistic human proportions. This game was uh, a four disc game, so that really emphasized how ginormous this was. Uh, it was the first Final Fantasy to have music with lyrics in it. Uh, it also, yeah, it, it felt like this is what the seven was the building block, and eight was like here's the big blockbuster game of the of of the year. Like, don't pay attention to the Dreamcast. Pay attention to Final Fantasy VIII. Mm -hmm. um, and it continued down the more science fiction aesthetic that seven had introduced. Uh, and you play a squall, uh, Leon Hart, uh, an angsty teenage boy, uh, and you in his uh, love interest, Renoa Hartley, and you learn you team together to to defeat the sorceresses, namely the sorceress of time. But before we get too much into that, now Jack, I specifically wanted you because I know you had history with this. I still think of that one picture of you dressed up as squall. Yes, I uh, was Squall for Halloween 2000, and I made a gunblade. Uh, that's such this a... was long before words like uh, cosplay cosplay existed. It, I love that. That's such a cute picture of you. I love mm -hmm. that one. So <laughs> I guess you've you've mentioned it a little bit, but uh, what do you think of Final Fantasy VIII? Um, you know your history with it, and what do you think about the game now? Uh, eight was the first RPG that I played all the way through on my own. Um, I got the PlayStation One for Christmas 2000, and I got Final Fantasy Eight, Seven, Anthology, oh. Metal Gear Solid. Oh my God! Gran Turismo, and Final Fantasy Tactics. Oh my god, I'm so jealous. And yeah, I was like in hog heaven. Um, I'd really just never played anything like that on my own. Uh, I'd never played like a, a PS1 game with pre-rendered backgrounds uh, like that. The look of it was totally new for the time. Um, mm -hmm. The fact that the characters had realistic proportions and the full motion videos were so intricate. Um, also the focus on romance uh, was totally novel. I love that uh, the icon for this one is Squall uh, cuddling Renoa. So it's right there in the theme. It was just like romance, romance, romance. Is very girly, which appealed to me, like the purple color of the box, the mm -hmm. relentless pink petals flying yeah. everywhere, which they would continue with this look, you know, like 
the look of 10 is an evolution of this. The look of 13 is an evolution of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the guys were really hot. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it, it, the game was erotic um, to the degree that uh, when seventh grade came around, I like sold off all of my Final Fantasy games because I would sense that they were having some homosexualizing effect on me. <laughs> and then I tried to force myself to play like Madden 2000. And it was oh, worse. Oh, sweetie. I was really uncomfortable. Yeah, it was it was really awful. Um, I got rid of all that stuff just because I thought it was turning me gay. Um, I have such good memories of taking the PS1 like on camping trips with my parents and just like holding up and playing final fantasy eight uh while they went and did whatever Mm -hmm. um you know the the whole current perception of the gameplay is being so broken and strange i had no concept of that uh because this was the first one that i played on my own Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I sort of felt it when I played seven after that, and seven seemed easier or like more uh it seemed more like six. Um mm-hmm. but the the version of this that I got came with the guide. So oh, yeah. I recall using the like lavishly illustrated official guide, and you know, it's it uh navigating menus was something new and exciting it just mm-hmm. felt like huge huge Oof. huge huge uh watching playthroughs recently of of the story um i'm surprised at how much i kind of remember about the locations and the names like lunatic pandora and yeah. <laughs> like uh stuff like this uh the story of this is incomprehensible i think <laughs> like six has a pretty legible story yeah seven's seven, legible seven is legible this is just bonkers bonkers like time travel even getting a basic grasp of like what the plot What's... beyond like those two are in love is is kind of uh just wild and out there um mm-hmm. it's it's really it's really out there in terms of this i mean and out there for final fantasy is like really out there like in yeah, yeah it, it it starts off so kind of simple where you play as squall at Balam Garden, which is like my favorite place ever. Like that Beautiful. is it. And I love how on the manual that I have that comes with the game, like there's just that one CG image of Balam Garden that like literally feels like I want to live there sort of thing. It's just like, yeah, that, it's like, I want to live here. This is gorgeous. Uh, and it starts off like simple where you're just like this mercenary kid and you're just presented your graduation exam but then like not too long after i mean after you're introduced to that gorgeous fmv intro playing with the libertar liberty fatali libtard fatali <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my god yeah so 
which you know that that fmv really kind of sets the stake albeit it's a lot of just flashing images of like future cutscenes. uh it seemed really serious at the time and it seemed really like like whatever's going on here is super important yeah and it's like and with the advent of like realistic looking characters where they're not like final fantasy 7 little block uh characters like it just felt more serious and more real and seeing all the flashing texts of like i'll be there i promise i'll wait for you like yeah flashing if... english with feathers <laughs> floating over it uh and then you you get that uh the loving you know uh boys fighting each other with their swords and leaving matching scars on each other uh with the you know the ver the white and black fla uh feathers everywhere it's so dramatic and then mm -hmm. you get in but then you get back to the bottom garden and but then like the game throws you back into the like the thick of it getting introduced to all the systems and menus that you have to do you know when quistus uh one of your party members who i love i love quistus she's such yeah all the, all the characters i love but like i love how quistus is just like a uh she knows squall's uh angsty nonsense and she'll just like finish his sentences and laugh at her laugh about it and, he, and he's like what are you laughing it's like oh nothing don't worry about it yeah like but then she, she looks like angela nagel <laughs> uh uh and i yeah but then she like dumps you with like minutes of tutorials about junctions and drawing and gfs like if and this is like the first 30 minutes of the game and you're just like what what am i doing what is going on like you really need a guide if you're mm -hmm. not privy to this style of game but i like you said people have complained that this game's broken i don't care like the thing about it being quote unquote broken makes it actually more enjoyable for me because if you know how to break it you can make this game as easy as you want and it becomes that like well i'm just going to point eight you know going to the next plot beat i'm going to the next fight like people have found ways to just like make the game incredibly easy like one of the i things think the the notion of it being broken is just kind of something that people repeat uh because they kind of hear through they telephone game that that's like the authoritative word on this but like how is this elaborate system more broken than the standard RPG system of you just grind endlessly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To it, get superpower. Like, yeah, it's you know? literally just, it's a, it's a system and it's just like, I feel like the game is a little bit aware of the fact it's just extremely open-ended, like the junction system and the drawing system, like, it's experimental where you don't have to worry about magic points per se. And instead it's just like, I can just make myself incredibly strong and it's like speeding things up. And it's like the game allows you to do that. Like it's not broken per se. I, I think that's a really fun way to make the game unique on multiple playthroughs. If you're that type of person, it's like if I'm playing it for the first time, I play it like a nor like just as normally. But if I'm like playing it again, Oh hey, I can junction like fifty tents and give myself five thousand health points in the first few levels of the game, like completely just making everything a cakewalk. 
and I can just blitz all my limit breaks. Uh, I think the game is like totally encouraging that. Like, I don't see that as a problem. And I think people are just like, they want to pull out the glasses and being like, I'm smarter than the game devs sort of thing, which is a common thing in a lot of games. And it's like game devs, I think, understand that they want you to have fun with this at the end of the day. And they're just like, how do we make an RPG that's just like really fun to play? Oh, I don't know. We'll just let them have like every tool that they could ever want. You know, if you want to be like a super focused healer in your game, that's okay. Like if you want to be an absolute powerhouse, that's okay too. Like Final Fantasy VIII is like really liberating and exciting to play. So like when you get into the meat of the game, you're going on this like, you know, to fight the first boss, Ifrit and with Quistus, it it's all about just kind of like absorbing like mountains of information all at once and understanding all these systems and and these mechanics and then just continuing to get introduced new story beats and new locations as you go you go from fighting uh you know your fire monster boss now you're doing a military raid on a town as part of your graduation exam like Mm -hmm. that's the fun of it and you get to encounter these like you know interesting and lovable characters like you get introduced to Zell and Selfie and pretty quickly, like you already get like two thirds of your party right there. And then in like the first hour or so. And I, I don't know how you feel about Zell or Selfie. Uh, I love Zell. It's just like a total hothead that loves hot dogs. <laughs> like, uh, he's hot. I was yeah. Fine with, with that Mike Tyson tattoo. That's uh. <laughs> <laughs> a character design they would I, seemingly take everything from in 10. Yeah, I mean Zell looks like Titus from 10. Yeah. Um, like it's... Selfie uh has the early 2000s Buffy the Vampire Slayer's Willow type hair flip with the yellow dress. Uh Yeah. I I think it's impressive that they were able to do a like high school Japanese high school thing without utilizing the usual kind of like lurid anime tropes mm-hmm. of like panties. And, <laughs> you know, it does it's it's like mm-hmm. they're sexy and they're in high school and they have superpowers, but it's not like everybody's like turning red and showing like the gusset of their panties like all other Japanese Mm-hmm. nonsense does yeah like it there are moments where they have like the play like especially when Irvine gets introduced like he's he's clearly meant to be like hitting on everyone but like really the characters are there to sort of experience all their sort of melodrama and the sort of like insecurities that they have which is namely like they all feel alone to a certain degree uh but i yeah i love selfie she's like i loved her too in kingdom hearts because kingdom hearts like takes a bunch of final fantasy characters and mixes them with disney characters mm-hmm. so selfie is one of them that got out of uh that was in it and and squall did too uh although in, in kingdom hearts they call him leon not squall uh which whatever uh um, why'd they do that 
because he sounds cooler. It's like the early 2000s, like trying to sound cool. Like he's the cool loner type. I don't know. Mm -hmm. This is what happens when you let the character artist of Final Fantasy direct a video game, which is what happened. Uh, Tetsuya Nomura, yeah, he was the character I... designer for all these games, and then he became a director. Uh, yeah, I I checked out by the time those Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> I was I, like I that whole like Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland kind of vibe that those had. I I was just like I I this I is don't too I, far. I don't blame you. They're they're unique. Let's put it that way. Um, mm -hmm. they're they're basically it's what if Kingdom what if a Final Fantasy game basically became a long, never ending story. Uh, yeah, or, so it was multiverse. Uh, yeah, time time travel clones. Day, you know, it's insanity. Uh, I love it, but I get it why people checked out. Um, I'd probably like it now if I if I tried it, but in like two thousand three, I I was real creeped out. Yeah, it it, it was weird, let's to say the least. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I with eight, I love that these all feel like just people like it and that goes back to the whole like they wanted to have like real people and i love how even though it's a fantasy setting and a, like science fiction stuff it still feels like kind of current day mm -hmm. uh where selfie runs the school's website uh she's like she's the bubbly girl running the school's website and i love how the characters learn their abilities through magazines like it's very yeah very like little details make me love these characters as you go but i love the fact that they these like high schoolers get sent to war and they have to like uh fight these like giant spider robots on top of a radio tower and they're intertwined with this like uh warring battle between their own garden and galbadia garden and then they get thrown into a resistance uh, storyline with Renoa and then they have to do an assassination plot like it yeah I, I get why people and they go to like, outer space <laughs> they go to outer space at one point and then it turns out the moon sends monsters uh, that's how the monsters appear on earth is because the moon is housing them all like I I could see why a lot of people got lost very fast with this mm -hmm. but I think that's the point of eight is eight is like you're experiencing all these very extreme things but it's all in service of this like the core thing which is squall and renoa about sort of the mainly squall squall's definitely the core of the game and people people still hate squall like and i don't get it per se like Everyone says that he's an emo kid. He's a that sounds like just something that like trannies would recite. Yeah, it, like it, that's I can hear like a metallic tranny voice being like being like squat sex. Like yeah, it's, it's like, the same thing as in all other video games. Like they all the characters are all the same. Like yeah, like I don't know. I, he's like incrementally like a little moodier i don't know it's yeah, he's he's just like a teenage boy like get you know people are so disconnected from just like like a a guy so just like in his own little world that uh they can't understand it like i remember 
reading there's like a fan theory that he has like autism <laughs> like I saw that too. Yeah, that sounds like something people would say now, but he he never stood out to me as uh in any way annoying or uh like uh if anything I liked that he was more assertive and direct than the usual kind of like Shinji mm-hmm. anime male character where it's like do I have the power to do this? <laughs> or yeah, do like, I overcome with self-doubt? Yeah, he, he usually just answers questions in a very like quick and easy way. I mean, people always joke that his like comment and response is whatever. Uh or yeah, whatever, or he's just kind of dismissive to people. But the part I like about Squall, and this is kind of the fun part about an RPG is that you spend so much time with him is that a lot of his dialogue happens in his head and when they do it in the parentheses that's mm-hmm. how you know he, he's talking to himself or in his head and I, that's where his character shines I think where you get a sense of like how he's growing into being the leader of Seed how mm-hmm. he's dealing with you know having romantic feelings for Renoa how he just feels about the whole situation. I think getting that like little glimpse into his head makes me like him as a character. Like I get people always like to say clouds, like a more interesting character, but like, I honestly feel like I'm gravitating towards squall as I get older in a way. I just really like this, you know, this teenager who, just is in his own little world and he's trying to understand what the hell is going on. And he kind of just flies by the seat of his pants and soon just gets enveloped in this like grand story. And you see that, I think the, the first real inkling where you see that is at that dance scene. Like to me, this game is entirely that beauty and the beast ballroom dancing. I would watch that just like over and over it's I had one file saved right before that so I could watch it Aww, over and over. That's so cute. I and it's mm. it was it was really uh innovative at the time. Like not only for how realist, you know, because they motion captured that dance, uh, but like all the other characters in the ballroom that are dancing too. It's it's really beautifully shot and animated. It's stunning. Like they Mm-hmm. It's so it's so iconic that when Sony was showing off the PS2, they showed the dance scene to show it off. They're like, "Here's a PS1 game playing on PS2, and it's the <laughs> dance. It's the dance scene from FF8." Yeah, I mean, like I thought it was like gameplay when I first saw it. <laughs> I was like, like, "How can a game look like that?" I didn't and, understand it was just a video. But and but it's interesting that you say that because. FF8 really pushed the bar because they have sequences of gameplay playing on top of full motion videos. Like, oh yeah, like like a uh, fear effect style. Yeah, they're crazy. Like the I the one I always think about is the one where when the two gardens are engaged their battle and squalls floating on that armor in the sky and you're doing that like punching uh, the the Galbadian soldier as you're like flying through this cutscene, and and then it 
transitions to a pure cutscene, and then it goes back to this like weird thing where you and Ronoa are running across the screen and this giant battle is happening as you're like yeah. engaging with it. It's insane. Like this it really felt so innovative and it still does too. Like I I think of when they get to Estar and they're on that platform going through the city and you still you can like walk around on the platform and it's mm. all seamless and stuff. Like that that's something that like games today don't kind they don't really have is that like the magic of the technologies allowing something really out of this world to being presented on the screen it it's that melding of cutscene and gameplay that you really started to see take place and it's like i i, I think of all these scenes that are just like stunning to look at even today like what is it now 24 years later I I wonder how they I I have to wonder how they got that to work because I can't imagine that was easy to do. Yeah. Uh, like they had a team I think of like thirty five people working on these cutscenes, and it shows like the even if you were to watch the cutscenes alone, they're like an hour long in this forty hour game. An hour of it is cutscene, which is like crazy for nineteen ninety nine standards. It really emphasizes just how like blockbuster this whole experience is and they and... were such a reward at the time too like mm-hmm. no one had like cutscene fatigue then so oh, yeah the fmv is really it felt like a like propulsion to keep playing yeah which is why they came to be is that you know they couldn't at the time render in gameplay these extreme set piece moments so they're like the cutscene is a reward to see something you couldn't do and mm-hmm. i love how even in these cutscenes where they don't have voice acting you still get an idea of what is going on in all these like different characters and i i marvel at how they were able to convey all that without voices it, it i remember when i talked with zach on his season finale like an RPG feels like a novel made as a playable, like n- books and RPGs feel very kind of close to each other. I don't know if, and yeah. FF8 kind of feels like that to me where it, you start off so small, you get so big and you go on these like tangential moments where it's, you know, you have a side quest moment or you have a moment where you step back and play triple triad the most addictive little mini game known to man or you know you go on it on a side quest to find the ultimate weapon in the research lab or you you discover star in its cloaking device or you take that rot that slingshot device to get into space and then you're floating in space like there's some it feels so like it's like a page turner to me like i i want to figure out how they're gonna how is this story is going to progress and i feel as though i over time i feel like i come to really love this story because it gives me little, little bits of like uh it reminds me of evangelion in the sense of like they're alluding to the whole 
the 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 main villain Ultimessia wanting to kind of create a singular void in time. And that reminds me of uh the end, end of Ava where they all go in the LCL fluid. And I just the fact that that's where the game is ending and it's like starts off with you just doing your little graduation exam is like so fun and cool. Yeah. It's like, really cool. And that uh the the kind of doubling of characters where oh yeah, the laguna story yeah the laguna stuff and how they're transmitted through dreams that's there are a lot of similarities with xeno gears which mm -hmm. came before and is my favorite game ever which has like the characters rem having repressed memories of like the, themselves in the future or themselves like reincarnated and stuff um mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the repressed memory angle here mm -hmm. where they were all like in that orphanage. Yeah, which people like that that in terms of the general internet feel, that's when everyone said like the game got bad. I'm like, no, that's where the game gets like really exciting and interesting for me. Oh, I'm like cool. where all these all your party members were in an orphanage together and your like your matron of the orphanage was seemingly the 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 final boss adea and you're learning like how did she get possessed to turn into an evil sorceress and you learn how your memories were repressed because of like the main gameplay thing which is the gf the guardian forces like the guardian forces are like giving you amnesia forgetting the past of what it is and I, I love just this these twists that happen and people hate the twists. I'm like, the twists make the game exciting. Like and I feel like a little bit of it is that uh late nineties Japanese to English localization where they can't it wasn't quote unquote perfected. Uh so there's like bits and pieces kind of like that are missing in translation. And in at least in my mind, I'm like trying to piss piece together like what does it all mean? Like learning through the Laguna story, like oh Laguna is Squall's father. Uh, Laguna fell in love with Julia at the bar, and Julia is Renoa's mother. So their unrequited love that they didn't have is passed on to their neck, you know, their children. Uh, or how Adea was given the memory, given the sorceress powers of Ultimessia. In the time compression, and that and Squall is the reason why she and Sid create Balam Garden and Seed. It's like the everything kind of layers on top of each other, where it's just like every bit of new information is like the biggest plot reveal ever, and it it's just like it's juicier and juicier as it goes on, and you just can't help be taken on the wild ride as you go. And you can uh, tell they were doing something totally different with this plot because the plot of all the previous ones before this is like, you know, you get your like ragtag gang together mm -hmm. one after another. But I like that all of these characters are like a unit mm -hmm. that were in this orphanage together. You don't just like go off into the field and find some guy who yeah like <laughs> like disconnected yeah like set like i guess to compare seven because you know the predecessor like seven 
you just go through the story and you meet these like disconnected people. I mean, they're connected in some sense, but it's like, what does Vincent Valentine, you know, Vincent Valentine is like this vampirish guy that you can find in the world or you, you know, Yuffie or Red 13, like all these eclectic weird characters that kind of join your quest to defeat, you know, uh, Sephiroth where eight feels like the party was already established in time in the past. And it, it's like this, these group of kids were always destined to save the world, which is literally what the, the opera song and the opening FMV is, you know, children of fate. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what it translates to. So I like how even down to the simplest idea of a RPG party is woven into the story itself. Mm-hmm. And I like that it creates moments where they have to like question whether or not like what they're about to do is the right thing to do. Like when Irvine has to take the shot on a day at the parade and he has trouble because he remembers, you know, Adea when she was a sweet, caring uh, woman at the orphanage and he doesn't want to take the shot or how later on they have to like reconcile that like Renoa has to absorb uh, Adele, the one of the late game sorceresses so that Ultimessia can travel back in time so that they can meet in the one moment where they can all kind of coexist and defeat her finally. Like, I, I love how simple ideas like that just elevate the experience just a little bit more than just your standard fare, like a Dragon Quest game where it's just oh. your standard adventure. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like, you know, you know, people will rag on the time aspect of this game, but it's like the time aspect just only increases the enjoyment for me to really latch on to these characters you know i i would say this is like a final fantasy game where i like all the party members like because there's certain final fantasies where i'm just like this character is whatever they're all memorable which Mm -hmm. is saying something you can tell them apart yeah like i know like i love 10 is great but it's like a lot i really only know titus and yuna and like Oren, and that's about it like off the mm-hmm. top of my head at least with eight i'm like oh yeah that's like squall renoa selfie zell irvine kistis like they all are their own unique little character and they have their own little moments and they're all charming and humorous but also you get a real good sense of like their insecurities and what kind of holds them back from being the best person that they can be sort of thing. Um, Like I think of uh, like selfie, like selfie having her sort of uh, her timidness and her shyness, you know, and she has to confront that her homeland uh, trivia gets uh, bombarded with missiles and she has to, confront like seeing her dead friend's graves mm-hmm. like you know i i know certain i know other games have like had subject matter but like these little moments go the distance so that by the end of it you're like rooting for the whole team to defeat the final boss you know it's not kind of a play by number sort of thing yeah, yeah. um 
the like there's such there's like little little like the hot dog thing i love how the hot dog thing even like pays off or zell finally can get it because throughout the game he could never get like the supposed amazing hot dogs of balam garden and in the final fmv movie he finally gets it and he almost chokes on it (laughs) and and i and i feel bad for the poor guy because it's like he gets teased by the girls as he's trying to have his one moment with the library girl that he loves like just these little moments are so enjoyable like I like how when um, Kistis will like poke and prod about like details throughout the story, like I forget the exact way you can get her to trigger some of her voice, like her uh, dialogue, but she'll like mention certain things at locations about events. Like I like that there's options like that all sort of peppered in through this, you know, odyssey of an experience. Like, to anyone who hasn't played Final Fantasy games at the bare minimum are like 40 hours long. And that's yeah. not going for like completionists where if you're trying to get for most of this game, that's like almost 100 hours. Mm-hmm. And FF8 definitely has that in spades where you're trying to get all the guardian forces, you're trying to get all the limit breaks, you're trying to get all the uh, the triple triad games won. Like there's really a whole lot to experience and learn and i love how the world of eight also invites you to just like kind of be curious about what happened here um i like yeah the story is delivered with such confidence that uh it's it it, like the more outlandish things like time travel and outer space uh don't seem uh, janky or random it just seems like somebody's extremely specific uh vision delivered with total confidence yeah in great you know rpg fashion a lot of this sort of learning about what is going on here is encouraged by just getting on your airship and exploring and getting you know doing the rpg tradition of getting you know leveling up leveling up your abilities all that and I love the world of eight. Like I, one of my favorite locations in the game is towards the end, the central ruins, that continent that has just been obliterated by yeah. the, the lunar cry. And mm-hmm. it, it, it gives you a chance to understand like why the lunar cry is such a cataclysmic event along with seeing like, you know, the Laguna store, the Laguna flat dream that ties in with it too. The game explains everything that you need to understand the the gravity of the situation and to anyone who like still parrots the idea that like this game makes no sense or like it you know it's you know the story isn't good it's like the story is amazing like i i i'm a (laughs) to quote one of my favorite people miss retarded uh i'm a sucker for a love story i'm a sucker for time travel in rpgs like that's just you know (laughs) it's that good it's that good food that i will just like drink up all the time uh it's it's a fine dish and the fact that uh renoa and squall have such a beautiful love story it my favorite moment is the eyes on me 
song in oh, the yeah. spaceship <laughs> sung by Fei Wong, a Chinese singer, uh, a Chinese Chinese singer singing a song for a Japanese game sold to pretty much predominantly a Western audience. And, and like not a song that children would find uh, interesting at all. Oh, uh, that, and that's that's what I love about it. It's on that Titanic wave of yes. having a tie-in ballad of the late '90s, and this is also something they kind of test ran with Xenogears mm-hmm. before this because Xenogears had the the broken mirror. <laughs> um, that ballad on the the credits. Uh, but yeah, I remember the feeling of that song coming on. It was like pretty embarrassing. Oh at yeah, the, I mean, at the time, I was like, oh god, this sounds so like Japanese and cheesy. But I love <laughs> it. I love how the you hear it um, in different forms throughout the game, like the oh, waltz yeah. version at the dance. Uh, it was just such a big deal that this has an actual song with vocals. Yeah, <laughs> Bay Wong. Eyes on You by <laughs> Fei Wong. It, it it's it's so novel because, like mm. you know, that that was part of the the sort of uh, novelty of the time. You know, we have games on CD ROMs now. Like we can put CD music on our games now. Uh, and I love how Eyes on Me becomes that theme of the the game, like. The fact that it roots in with the Laguna storyline where, you know, he had Julia writes the song about her love for Laguna that couldn't happen. And it just kind of tran again transcends time itself to their children and brings them together. And the fact that they do it in this like spaceship as they have their like cute little zero G, you know, squall grabbing her and putting her like she falls in his lap. And mm-hmm. and the fact that they lace it together, it's like, oh yeah, Renoa is now a sorceress herself, and you know, she's about to be captured because sorceresses are like based, you know, the threat of humanity itself, and you know, this is their one moment that they can have together and express themselves and their love together, and it's such a cute, beautiful moment, and. I'm so glad that something, you know, Final Fantasy VIII was able to introduce like an idea of a love story into a video game. You yeah, know, we... but it's it's uh it seems like an antiquated novelty now because no media has love stories anymore because love stories are seen as anti-feminist mm-hmm. and manipulative so i'm glad that this final mm-hmm. fantasy game got through with the concept being love much less <laughs> they would never ha- allow anything marketed to children yeah uh, to be about love mm-hmm. or any, it, I, everything is just about how you're a selfish piece of shit with no interest in anyone and you're a girl boss and you look like shrek <laughs> and you don't love anyone ever and you're hideous and your soul is hideous that's what everything is now but this is about falling in love and yeah that titanic moment of um people being really invested in grand sweeping love stories i think that was definitely an inspiration for this and it and 
you know, to the people who like kind of poo poo the love story because there are those people I've seen them. It's like eight laid the groundwork for the love story in ten, which everyone praises to high heaven of Titus and Yuna, you know, where they have that cutscene in the water. Which that love story is way less impact uh, defined yeah. and impactful than this. Although I do, I will say that cutscene specifically in 10 is like so gorgeous. Like yeah. kind of what we were saying earlier, like 10 is like that beautiful, the boundless future and possibility of the PS2 that like 10 yeah. represents. Like that seems immaculate. But mm-hmm. point being though, is like eight's love story feels like, you know, it's been building up to that Ragnarok, the moment in the Ragnarok as like, Noah's sort of existence now in the world as a sorceress is going to remove her away from Squall and the one moment they have together and where Renoa is like I literally don't want to leave I just want to stay here in space with you like it it again it, it evokes the Titanic you know just you want these two to be together and suddenly the world rips them apart but I'm so glad that the game makes you realize like no squall has fallen in love with Renoa. she's gotten him out of his like little introvert shell and mm-hmm. she's making him the man that in a way kind of making him like his father laguna where laguna is a much more bright and you know full of energy and love and happiness type guy like kind of a goofball where i love how laguna's where Squall is a more reserved person, Laguna is like a goofball who, where when he gets nervous around a girl, his leg cramps. Like, mm-hmm. I love that little, that's such an innate little weird detail that like goes a long way to make Laguna a great character. But I love, you know, Renoa brings Squall out of his own self doubt that he had when he was orphan as a child. And she's the way he is saved with that amazing final move or not final, but when they defeat Ultimessia and all the characters escape the time compression, except for squall. And he's trying to remember Renoa and that twin peaks, disturbing cutscene that plays where like her face gets warped and messed around and, you know, all these cutscenes that you had seen earlier in the game are getting like rewound and fast forward and skipping. And you have that honestly shocking image of like Squall's face just has a giant hole in it. Yeah, like, that's great. It's terrifying. And for one, I, I I can't imagine what it was like for you back in 2000 to experience like that scene where mm. literally squall's reality is being ripped apart his memories being ripped apart from him the one person that makes him happy is being taken away like but she's the one who saves them with that beautiful cutscene where the flowers all explode oh. and the sun this sun comes through in the beautiful blue sky it's uh it's so yeah, it's gorgeous and uh which highlights a thing that the developers were emphasizing with this game is how bright it is how like full of color it is compared to seven where seven's a lot more muted and earthy where seven is just full of color and light and in the one moment where the darkness has like captured squall 
light shines through in the end. And it's like, uh, I I could just watch that that like how you were watching the dance cutscene over and over again. It's like I want to watch that cutscene of just the flowers explode and she's brought him back to reality. Like mm. I want to watch that over and over again. Yeah. It's, it's... Uh, for 1999. That is a beautiful cutscene. Like it's what happens when you have like square Enix money and you can just like pump it into your game and it's like infinite money and you can create the most lavish and beautiful cutscenes that the time can create. Uh, it's really something special. Like, it's hard to yeah. really it's hard to really explain unless you sat through that tens of hours of experience that the game had been building up to and i eight is such a unique little game before 13 it was such it was you know the internet wanted to say it was the bad one or the mistake or whatever it's like no from day one, it was a beautiful, touching story. And to me, like, in 1999, this game kind of was leading us into the new millennia of, like, games can tell whatever story they want to. You know, 1999, this is the year of, like, Silent Hill also coming out. And that year itself is, like, look at what we can do with this medium you have like the beautiful glittering uh landscape that the dreamcast is about to shortly introduce to the world final fantasy is doing something beautiful and silent hill is like creating the abject nightmares or mm -hmm. uh metal gear solid is creating blockbuster spy thrillers with uh, bodily fascinations of Kojima interlaced with nuclear war. Like, eight, 8 is an example of the magic the PS1 had. Like, no other system, I think, really epitomizes just, like, the magic video games create for me. Yeah, truly. And the, the colors, as you said, really stood out. All of that teal, neon, um, looks so different from the muddy industrial thing of seven and the look of this seemed so excessive and abundant at the time but then they somehow found a way to take it further with the look of 10 um mm -hmm. making this look uh, like tasteful in the character design oh yeah <laughs> I, I like that I love the design of Squall. I think his outfit is one of the best with the fur color. Oh, um, I, I like that the the ridiculous accoutrement and belts and accessories have not reached that Final Fantasy X or Kingdom Hearts level where it's like Jinko straps on everything. Which, that's uh, a hallmark of Tetsuya Nomura is belts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just honestly great outfits um so i want most, i want my I own think, i want my own griever necklace like yeah <laughs> the um the, the probably the most out there design is edia with that big uh frame <laughs> behind her head that fan shaped yeah. frame 
um, which is very Star Wars Episode One mm-hmm. kind of moment. Uh, <laughs> um, I like the the touch of the Western with uh, what's his face with the shotgun, Irvine. And the Irvine. Um, I particularly love that seaside town that they go to oh fisherman's horizon with that big kind of like teal bowl thing uh-huh. um just remember that feeling really like relaxing to explore and that's that's kind of the whole aesthetic they chose for 10 mm-hmm. which is just ocean teal ocean 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 yeah which that was of the time like a lot of games from like, everything was ocean chrono yeah, cross yeah 99 to like oh to a lot of games were ocean themed which mm-hmm. is no not a lot you know not a lot of games do love stories and not a lot of games have an ocean setting really anymore it's, no nobody cares about the ocean anymore it yeah it's the early 2000s yeah i the ocean is cool i love yeah. <laughs> echo the dolphin yeah <laughs> there's too much freedom in the ocean they don't want to give that to you yeah uh, trapped in a grim room with a shrek like (laughs) woman telling you what to do yeah i mean that's literally what the new fable game is uh (laughs) fable an rpg game that was for the xbox they're like doing a new one and they had a trailer with like this like girl character and she looks like a mongoloid like yeah <laughs> a dark skin mongoloid character and i'm like and everyone's like ripping into it and i'm just and the thing is like modern games they use like actual like models for facial references and they make them uglier yeah the western the game developed the nose wider yeah the western like they showed the picture of the woman who supposedly was the face model it's like they literally made her look like she was made out of mud yeah, like, it's amazing it's, uh, how they just specifically have to punish the United States uh, with all that stuff. Yeah, but it's like you you look at a like Japanese developers do the same tactic, and they just they, like you said earlier, it's just like they have no concept of like diversity. So it's like they'll make like this is what the main guy of sixteen looks like. Nice. So, uh just for reference like final fantasy still making everyone beautiful and like you know poorless little porcelain dolls uh that are you know embodying every like beautiful human emotion you know 20 plus years after they jumped to 3d um but yeah final fantasy 8 i think is uh everyone should play it it's now finally easy easily playable um, you don't need a PS1 anymore um, with the remaster. Um, I know that everyone loves seven. Seven's the you know the special darling child, and nine is like the old heads. Uh, I think you've said it's like the twee critic favorite. Um, yeah, I, di- I didn't get too far in nine. Um, I had it. I mean, it was like fun to play, but it, even then, it was like. It was like the like galaxy brains, like dude, you know the connoisseurs. Was... Yeah, I I feel like those people always, not to like lambast nine because I think nine has its own merits, but I think they took the quote of 
Sakaguchi, the creator of the series, and he's like, this is the most pure to my vision ever quote. And they're like, see, this is, this is you know, peak Final Fantasy. It's like, eh, sure, why not? Like, I'll, I'll let you have yours, but I'll have my, you know, game about Squall Landheart yeah. uh, fighting, destroying, or saving time and space itself. He, you know, points to Squall. He literally, he defeats arguably the most powerful final boss in Final Fantasy history. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> Zidane, is... Zidane in 9 does not have that. Um, yeah, that and that that Catboy in 9 just looks like a shrunken squall <laughs> with a tail. Yeah, you know, what can you do, I guess? But unless you have any uh, thoughts to close out Final Fantasy VIII, you know? No, I just love it because it's girly and it's uh, focused on romance. Yeah. It... Um. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> just very uh, evocative of a certain time and certain place, and it expanded uh, my mind re- regarding what video games were capable of. Yeah, I think that's well put. Um, yeah, everyone should play Final Fantasy VIII. You have a summer to do so. That's my summer homework <laughs> for everyone. Um, but I want to extend my eternal gratitude to you, Jack. You were you you helped usher the show in and you get to help close the season out so i you i owe you so so much um my pleasure my uh, pleasure i'm glad you saved final fantasy 8 for me <laughs> yes yes i i couldn't think of anyone else better to do it mm. um but with that this is where we're going to stop the recording for the season
I'm not afraid.